Thanks for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. Yeah, so my name's Mark. I'm um, from Murray Bridge. Who's been to Murray Bridge? Who enjoyed it? It's actually, it's actually a beautiful town. I'm just going to put that off to the side so I can kind of look and see you guys. So I'm from Murray Bridge and um, I feel at home here. You know, Murray Bridge is a pretty full-on town and I, um, I think it's kind of similar to... Is this called Playford or Elizabeth? Elizabeth South. Izzy. Izzy. Lizzie. Is that what the locals call it? Liz Vegas. Okay. Uh, well, we don't have anything quite so fancy in Murray Bridge. It just gets called the bridge. So that's a. That, oh, see, I feel well, so welcome. And and so I was saying to the men, I had such a great time with the guys uh, yesterday morning. And I said, I just feel at home because this place is uh, interesting. Elizabeth's interesting. And uh, I was on the driving here yesterday morning on the way past the pet barn, like right in the middle of town. And there was a guy, like, I, this is true, swinging a dead owl as he was walking down the street. And I was just like, that is so weird. I feel at home. Because that would happen in Murray Bridge. <laughs> it's like the same. It was so good. But we have lots of stories. And... Um, there's a lot of needs in Murray Bridge. There's not a lot of needs here. Um, but God is good and he's doing amazing things in this church and he's doing some really good things in Murray Bridge. Uh, I've been there in, since 1990 and I've been the 2IC pastor since about 2013, I think. And before that I was the youth pastor. and So I've got a real heart for what's going on in the town. Uh, I've got a wife and two kids and... Um, Really ha- happy to, gl- to share this message with you today. So, uh, today I am sharing part two of your Stuck in a Rut series, I think. Is that correct? And, um, and so today is going to be called Weed Whacking. I don't know, that's, what's, a, what's weed whacking? It sounds violent. That's a, what's a weed whacker? Is that an Elizabeth thing? or I don't, I don't know. American. I don't know what that is, but I think it's, it's saying that weeds are bad, so we're going to learn about that in a minute. So it's part two of our Stuck in a Rut series, Weed Whacking, and I'm going to call it Stuck in a Story. Stuck in a Story. So let's look at our key verse, Mark 4, 18 and 19. And this is set, uh, Jesus has just told a parable about the sower, and then the disciples are confused, and they're saying, well, what's going on with this? This story, Jesus, they don't know. And so he explains it to them. And, and you might have heard it. You, you know the parable of the sower where, where the sower is sowing out this seed and he's throwing it everywhere. And some's going on the path. Some's going on the, the soil with the rocks. Some's going on the soil with the weeds. And some of the seed goes on the good ground. And Jesus explains to them that the seed is the word. It's the word of God that is speaking in our hearts. So let's have a look at this verse. Oh, is it going to be there? There it is. Listen. A farmer went out 
to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed, and some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. This is the key one here. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. They didn't bear fruit. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 100 times. Jesus then said, whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, I think it's kind of hard to grow plants and easy to grow weeds. My yard in Murray Bridge is quite big. It's about 2,000 square metres, but it's a weird block. It's 20 metres at the front and 100 metres back, and it's really poor soil. And I've been in that house for about 17 years, and it just grows weeds really well. Who has a yard like that? They just love it. But everything else just dies. And anyway, a few years ago, I was promising my wife... I was actually preaching a sermon and I said, you know, one day I will, uh, I'm going to do my wife a nice garden. And our congregation is a bit cheeky. And someone yelled out and said, when? <laughs> I said, by the end of the year, she will have a beautiful lawn. Anyway, by the end of the year, I hadn't done anything. And then I said, okay, well, it will be next year, which was last year. And, and so I, I, but I started and I got a... Um, a bobcat, like a, you know, like a little mini bulldozer thing, and I, I scraped out all the weeds, took all and took a, the, all the rubbish soil around, brought all this good soil in, and I was just about to lay the lawn, and I was so happy. Like this had taken me weeks. Who's done a project like that? Like, it was tough, working, working, pulling weeds out, pulling it all out. I brought all this soil in. It was perfect. I got on my hands and knees with a big screed, got it perfectly flat. And the next week I was going to lay the turf and Holly had organised Cole's Delivery. Do you have that? Yeah. Cole's Delivery, where they, you, you ring up and they deliver the things to your door. We'd never done it before, but she called Cole's Delivery and I was laying in bed. They came out like real early, like 6 o'clock in the morning. And as I'm laying there, I'm like, that truck sounds really close. It sounds like it's on the lawn prep area like nah because my, my house is weird like it's it's like a long weird block the front the back is at the front and the front is at the side you know those uh, it's a mess anyway so she thought that that was a really great place to park the truck and it got bogged I'll show you her photo she right on my area where so that's my deck there and she drove right up there went to unload and she couldn't get out and it bogged down to the axles. It took us four hours to dig it out. And then I had to prep it all again. And when the recovery crew came, they, you guys are so kind. <laughs> I'm like, I'm reliving it. And, you're, oh, you know. and like they, the recovery dude came and, with his four-wheel drive and he drove all over my garden beds and crunched all my edging. That I, put, I had to do that all again, so it put me back days. Anyway, we, we pulled it out eventually, and then, uh, you want to show the next photo? We, then my friends, oh yeah, look at that. That was the recovery guy. Next photo. And then 
a few weeks later, I got it ready and then the lawn. And then do you want to do the next photo? You can kind of see. Oh, look at that. <laughs> and my wife, she had a similar kind of like reaction to that. Uh, what you can't see is that not long after that, the weeds started to grow again. So I got Roundup, right? And I sprayed the edge of the garden bed. But it was windy. I didn't know. See, I'm learning this stuff. And the roundup blew onto the lawn and killed half of it. Yeah, it was very sad. Thank you for that. So, weeds are easy to grow. But lawn is hard. Good food is hard. And the point of this story is that our minds are like gardens. How easy is it to think the wrong thing? It just comes natural to us, doesn't it? But thinking good thoughts, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need him to be speaking that and we need to accept it. We need to... We need to be constant vigil to let our minds be like a garden, a good garden. In 2008, um, I collapsed at work. I was uh, going through a pretty tough season and and I was in training in Adelaide, uh, training mediation, and I stood up to present something to the crowd and all of a sudden the room started spinning uh, my heart was racing, I felt hot, and I thought I was going to throw up. I went to the bathroom, I couldn't get up, and um, I just felt really unwell. I rang for my mum-in-law, she came, picked me up, took me home, and I, and I couldn't really get out of bed, and still after a week I felt really, really unwell. I went to the doctor, they did all the tests, tested my heart, blood sugar, and all that kind of stuff, and they came back to me and they said, Mark... Um, we don't know how to say this, but there's nothing actually wrong. We can't find anything wrong. We think, we think you're really stressed um, and that you're having panic attacks. That was really hard for me to face because, like, anxiety? Like, that's... What? what? That's not me. Like, I, that's not the person I am. Like, that's what happens to... You know, teenage girls, it's not... What, it's, I'm, like, I'm 38, you know, why, why am I... Why have I got anxiety? It was really hard. And it, was, and it continued to be hard for, for a long time. You see, uh, what had happened is that there was a lot of thinking that was going around in my head that I didn't realise, but it wasn't that helpful. They were weeds. There was a lot of them. And uh, I thought them and I thought them and I thought them and I was worried about losing a house because the builder that built it was on... What was that thing called? Today Tonight with Lee McCluskey. Remember that? Yeah, he was on that because he was dodgy and it was really bad and, and I had two kids under two and I wasn't sleeping and I'd just taken on new roles at work and I was running the youth and it was 
there was just a lot of stuff going on and it was really hard and I worried about everything and eventually my body couldn't take it and I collapsed. In Kings, 1 Kings 19, we see Elijah going through something similar. Uh, many of you would know the story of Elijah. He lived in a time that was very tumultuous in the kingdom of Israel and they were persecuted. And um, he had to run for his life as many of the prophets were killed. And he spent time in the wilderness alone, a long time, by a, a stream that was drying up and had nothing except what the crows brought him to eat. And then he, then he, he got out of that place and he, he had this famous battle with the prophets of Baal, but things went well, but then they didn't go well and he was threatened again by Queen Jezebel and, and he was on his, on his foot again running off until God brings him to this cave. And I think this is really interesting. Check this out. This is what he says. Because God says, why are you here? So he says this. I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship and murdered your prophets. And I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go and stand on the mountain at attention before God. And God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't found in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak and went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. A quiet voice asked, So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? Elijah said it again. I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me. I don't know if you noticed... But he said the same thing twice. And the thing about that speech he gave was that it wasn't exactly true. And Elijah knew it wasn't true. Because if you read the story, and I encourage you to, Obadiah told him a few months ago that there was quite a few prophets of God. The people hadn't given up their ways. And so it wasn't true that Elijah was the only one. 
but once it was. You see, three years ago, when he was by that shrinking stream, all alone, of fear for his life, so destitute that God brought in scraps from crows, he actually thought that he was alone. That was as far as he knew the truth. And I think that he started to think that. That this story that he's saying, that he's stuck in, began there. In that traumatic place, that he said it to him once. He said it to himself twice. He said it to himself three times. It became what he was in. And even though now he understood the bigger picture and he'd understood from Overdyer and and other things that this was not really the situation, he was stuck in it. And when he felt low and felt down, it came out. See, trauma can cause us to get stuck in a story. And it can be like a weed, and then another weed, and then another weed, until that's all we can see. And it blocks out the sun. See, that's why Jesus was telling this parable about the sower, because sometimes these weeds can be some, become so prolific and dominant in our lives, they can stop us from seeing God's word. And they can stop us from bearing fruit. Elijah was paralyzed. And even a storm outside where the rocks were breaking free wasn't able to snap him out of it. He still was in that place. It becomes a bit like, I get addicted to chocolate. It's like if there's a block of chocolate in the fridge, one row isn't enough. It's like one row and then second row and the third row until it's all gone and I feel sick. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever had that happen? <laughs> have you ever had it happen where something, you may be at home alone or you're driving or something's happening and something tips you off into this crazy zone where you start going on and on about all this stuff that's going on and happening and the the things that are wrong and if this person did that and if that person did that and and you just get historical (laughs) or maybe you had an argument with a loved one and you just bring it all up again even though it's not really necessary but you just can't seem to help it. Fruit doesn't grow in that environment, does it? God's word gets squeezed out. And that's where I was at. On the floor of that toilet. Just full of all this stuff that was going wrong. And I was unable to see God's word 
and what he was doing. So what do we do? What do we do when we get stuck in a story? Well, the honest, the honest truth is that there was lots of things I did. And um, I needed friends. I needed support. I needed help. I actually went to a psychiatrist and he started to help me to identify things. So he started to point some things out and I prayed a lot for God to show his truth. The first thing I did was I did a bit of a fear audit. I started to think about all the things that I was worried about. And so I started to to think, okay, I'm I'm not I'm sick of being in fear. And I started to identify fears and write them down. I was I was worried about oh, well, lots of things. Looking back at it now, I can't believe some of the things I thought, but pretty much every day I got up and I thought well, it's just a matter of time before my wife leaves me. It's hard to believe I thought that every day. It's just a matter of time before I lose the house. Just was stuck. But I declared war on fear. And, and, I, and I, remember, I memorized a verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. And, and it says, God's not giving me a spirit of fear. And I, and I started to, to notice when there was fears... There it is. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And every time I started to realize, oh, there's fear again, I, I, I started to say, okay, no, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I'm not going to get stuck in that. I started doing a bit of a, um, a worry audit too, because I think that just going over and over things... Uh, was just making me sick. The psychiatrist I went, the psychiatrist I went to, actually, he suggested that um, that I give different thoughts a name. And I remember him saying to me one day, he said, "How many times do you think you've thought that?" And I thought, "Well, a lot. One particular." story that I got stuck in and I would think it every time I would drive to work I would start to think how do I make my boss happy with me and I'd think about well I tried this yesterday and that didn't work and I saw that look he gave me on the way out of the office and he thinks I'm I'm slacking and and you know but I'm not like I came 10 minutes early I'm leaving I'm leaving on time like it's okay to leave on time isn't it yeah it's okay to leave on time I don't have to, you know, and so I'd justify everything and go, and I realised I'd thought that a lot. And I remember him saying, well, is it helping? I thought, no. And then he said, well, maybe you don't need to think it so much. Ah, okay, yeah. And, I, and, and it was really helpful to start to think about what I was thinking about. So when I was in the shower, I started to think what I was thinking about because normally I was in the shower and I was like worrying about everything and I realised, well, maybe I can just have a shower. (laughs) 
maybe I can just enjoy being in the presence of God. Maybe I can spend a bit more time listening instead of talking to myself. So I started to do it. I got up and I, I stood in the shower and I thought, actually, showers are pretty good. Like, there's not many things that are as good as hot water running down your back. Like, let's be honest. So I started to just enjoy it and say, thank you, God, for showers. I'm just not going to worry for this five minutes. When I drive to work, I started to just enjoy the drive and worship, put some things on. And, and it was hard at first But slowly I started whacking those weeds. Uh, The last thing I did, which I feel like... uh, What time do I have to finish, Ashley? The last thing I did, which I feel is is actually what I want to share now. I think as I was preparing this and I was praying, I felt God say, "This this is important. And that was, I realised I needed to grieve. I've been reading a book by, um, I think their names are Townsend, the guys that did the Boundary series. It's a really good book and it's called How People Grow. And he said, uh, they say that grief is important because it's the mechanism that humans use for closure. It's what our bodies do as we prepare to move from one season to the next. And it's hard. But if we don't grieve, we can't move on. And there was many things that I was stuck in because I just refused to grieve. Things that had happened in my past that were difficult, that I just had just chosen to brush aside and thought that they'd eventually fade during the period of time when I had anxiety and panic attacks, I wasn't being the father and husband that I thought I should be and I needed to grieve that. I I felt like I'd let everyone down. There was aspects of my childhood that I'd missed out on. My dad was very busy. He was never around, but I'd never grieved that. There was trauma. It's really hard to move on if you don't grieve. So I just felt this morning that there's um, some people here that God just wants to give a little bit of space just to acknowledge that. Would you like to stand? And I just want to pray through this for a moment and, and then we'll move on to my last point. But Would you mind joining with me in prayer? Father... We just, we just want to take a moment to stand here. And there's many people in this room that have been through really hard things. And it's hard for them to, to get unstuck from the story. Because they have never allowed themselves to grieve. So, Father, I just pray for each person here. And if there are moments in their lives where they've missed out, moments of loss, moments of pain, 
I just pray that right now as we stand here, they would acknowledge that you're with them, that that they're not alone. I just encourage, if, if you're here and you feel like there's something that you need to give to God, I just encourage you to to take a step towards him this morning. To acknowledge that thing. To allow yourself to feel a little bit. To be present in it. I just want to encourage you that, you know, we don't need to fear memories. If you survived the event, if you survived the situation, you can survive the memory. Don't need to fear it. I just encourage you to give it to God. And allow yourself to take a step forward. Thank you, Father. Would I be able to have a musician up? Maybe the keyboard as I, as I finish. You know, the, the point I want to finish with is this. Jesus, as he was about to go to the cross, he said that a seed for it to bear fruit has to go into the ground and die. And there's something about a rut that's not all bad. You know, this season, this series is called Stuck in a Rut. But at the moment in Murray Bridge, all around the outskirts of the town are farmers and they've got these big tractors and they're digging furrows. Because seed don't do that good on flat ground. They do best in a rut, right? Because they're protected, The water comes down in there. The wind can't blow. And they're safe, right? And being in a rut is painful. It can be really tough because it forces us to acknowledge that we can't get out on our own. That's what it is, being in a rut. It's, it's that feeling that you can't go up, you can't go down, you can't go left, you can't go right. And it's a horrible place to be on one hand. But on the other hand, it's a beautiful place to be because it forces us to acknowledge that we need our Lord and Saviour. It forces us to acknowledge the truth all along, which we were never strong enough. And it's that place where things grow and start a new season. So if you feel like you're stuck in a rut, I just want to encourage you that that day when I was on the toilet floor Unable to stand was actually the start of something way more than I could ever imagine because I started to rely on God in a way that I never did before. And He breathed hope into me and life into me. 
And today I'm a way better husband, a way better father than I could have ever dreamed because of him. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died for us. And we get to rely on his strength and his forgiveness and his power and to see his fruit. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for every person here and especially for those that feel like they're in a rut. Father, I pray you would breathe encouragement into them this morning that they would understand that that it's a good thing that they have to rely on you because that was the case the whole time. Father, burst into life new fruit, new peace, new joy, new life. And we just speak to those rotten weeds of lies that say that they are hopeless, no good, that they can't move forward, that they can't get out of this. And we say, be gone in Jesus' name. Fear, we say, be gone in Jesus' name. But we thank you for your truth and your life that even though we can't move forward, even though there's nothing in us that is good in its own, you love us anyway. We thank you that we're fully known and fully loved. Don't deserve it. We accept it. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. If uh, we're going to worship, I think. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.